You're listening to the Library Pros Podcast with Chris and Bob, a techie librarian and a computer IT guy discussing libraries, technology, and all things this side of the reference desk. Thanks, Carl. Hi, and welcome to episode 31 of the Library Pros Podcast. I'm Chris, and Bob is off at an East End library in the South Fork. Uh, I guess he's saving the world out there uh, in the Hamptons. Anyway, thank you uh, for listening. And <clears throat> today we're coming to you from the Sachem Public Library in Holbrook, New York. And if this is your first time listening, thanks for coming. The Library Pros podcast is produced bi-monthly, so don't forget to check us out and subscribe to our RSS feed, iTunes, Apple Podcasts, or whatever they're calling it now with iOS 11, and Android, and email, and also on Google Play. Links and notes from today's podcast can be found on our website, thelibrarypros.com, on Twitter at, at @thelibrarypros, or on Facebook at facebook.com slash librarypros. And if you don't mind going to iTunes and giving us a like or writing a comment, we'd love that too. And today, joining us via Google Hangout is Braden Moreno, co-founder of Robo3D. Check out his website at robo3d.com. Welcome to the podcast. Hey, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. I'm excited to be here. Okay, so we're going to speak with Braden today about 3D printing and uh, how libraries and educators can use 3D printers as a tool for forwarding the concepts of creation and how a 3D printer fits into a library model and also what libraries um, can do to promote entrepreneurship. But first, let's get to know Braden. So can you tell us about uh, how you first got started in computer science? Uh, I actually didn't get first started in computer science. Uh, and actually, I'm not a computer science uh, engineer or computer science degree major. I majored in, uh, in marketing and business, but my business partner was... Uh, you know, heavily into computer science and sort of we teamed the partnership. And I've learned a lot since. Uh, we've had to do a lot of development on software and coding and things like that, um, you know, starting this company. But uh, really just became fascinated by it when we saw 3D printing technology. And that's sort of how I started diving into it post-college. That really is cool because it's a different angle than, than I would have originally thought. Yeah. No, yeah. You know, I always tell people, you know, with our how we started our business, we didn't really have any huge engineering type backgrounds we just became obsessed with the technology itself and 3d printing and you know started finding out information by going to forums and discovering things online with youtube and google and started taking classes on a website called udemy.com and started learning how to do different um, things around software programming and whatnot and uh, just started teaching ourselves what to do (laughs) and that's how we built this company that's really amazing considering the competition that's out there and everything else like that yeah, it was, uh, it was a wild, wild west when we got into it. It still kind of is, but uh, we were on a mission to bring the world a affordable, easy-to-use desktop personal 3D printer. And, uh, you know, we, we were just relentless in our pursuit. Wow. So tell me, uh, before Robo3D became an idea, what was your experience with 3D printing? I mean, you, I know you said you were more in the marketing end of it, but tell us how this yeah. all started. Yeah, so I had, Robo3D was actually my third company. Um, I had a business, my first business that I tried to start was a a watch company, like a wristwatch company. And I had to prototype my first designs when I went and asked my mentor, hey, where do I start? They said, you know, you're gonna have to prototype some designs. So I went to this company um, over in Kansas and they basically prototyped these designs for me using 3D printing, Uh, paid a lot of money realized, you know, years later when I found out what 3D printing is and how accessible it could be, 
uh, I realized I could have saved myself, you know, thousands and thousands of dollars by doing it myself. So that's when it just sort of hit me. I was like, hey, you know, this is a technology that we could help people build products from scratch. So I got really excited. And, um, you know, I always tell this story. My mentor at the time was talking to me about the gold rush. And he mentioned that, you know, the people that were successful in the gold rush weren't the people seeking gold. They were the people selling the tools to seek gold. And so that was just an interesting concept that always stuck with me. When I saw 3D printing, I was like, wow, I can be a tool maker to help people bring their products and ideas to life. And that's what got me really excited. That's a really great concept, too. It, it yeah. was the people who actually were selling the tools. Yeah. So that, it just 3D printing just fit right into that, that concept for me. And I just said, hey, we're, if we build this product and build a great product at that, we're going to be able to share it with people and hear some incredible stories back on how people have used it. And we've seen that firsthand, you know, over and over with, you know, our over 15,000 customers that are using them now around the world. So can you tell us about some of the, the successful success stories that you've heard? I mean, you don't have to name names or anything, but like yeah, yeah, quite, quite a few. We have a, uh, a teacher by the name of Jacob Pitcher in Indiana that he uses it. I just spoke about him in a Best Buy for Education webinar, but he uses our 3D printers in a school for the blind. It's called the Indiana School for the Blind. He has about 15 of our machines, our original R1 Plus machines, and he's been able to take concepts you know, in the world that would be impossible to explain using like, you know, for example, Braille. I mean, you can explain the concepts, but he's been able to take things like, for example, the Statue of Liberty, scale it down into a small scale model, print it out, and then, you know, let his blind students be able to touch and feel and understand what the Statue of Liberty actually is. So he's done that for a number of different things, Mount Rushmore, things like that. And it's just super cool to hear that story. And then we have, you know, people that are making prosthetics for kids all over the world. Um, you know, just some incredible stories, which more and more um, pretty amazing stuff happening. It really is fascinating, too, because what we do at, uh, at Sachem is we've had some really interesting interactions with some engineers. And, um, yeah. And we're actually uh, working, we're trying to start working with a woman who's a uh, dachshund, which is that small, like, hot dog dog. Yep. Um, she adopted it, and it was missing a leg. Mm-hmm. So it really is interesting to see how... Um, Engineers, when you ever when you put a 3D printer out, how many engineers come out of the woodwork to say, "Hey, isn't that a 3D printer?" And well, yeah, it, it democratizes craftsmanship, right? In a in a complicated wording, but it pretty much allows everyone that has access to a device to be able. And eventually, designing is going to get a lot easier too. So you're going to be able to be like, "Oh, I see uh, something I need to fix. Let me design it real quick and let me print it out." And uh, just excited to see kind of the world transform in that mindset. Most definitely. Uh, it's, you know, and like I said, with the dog thing, I mean, it's just a matter of uh, putting your mind to it now because if yeah. you design it, even if you design it on something as simple as Tinkercat, yep. uh, you know, you can prototype it and it's really not that bad if you fail. And, you know, failure yep. has become something that isn't shunned, on, shunned or, you know, looked down upon anymore. Yep, most definitely. And yeah, and, you know, it's very inexpensive once you have the machine. You know, if you fail on designing something or you need to fix it, it doesn't cost a lot of money to retry, reprint, resize it. Um, you know, most of the stuff, you know, when you have, when you're printing something the size of, for example, a chess piece, it's only going to cost you, you know, a couple cents to actually make that, that small of a, a part. So you're not going to spend a ton of money in trial and error. That's very true. Uh, so we're going to expand more on this next question I'm going to ask you in the next segment, but, um, do you manufacture anything other than 3d printers? Uh, we just the 3d printers right now. We obviously produce the software behind it. 
Um, and we have an iOS and an Android app coming out next month. Our iOS app is out now, so we can do a lot on the software side, but in terms of hardware, we, we are primarily focused on the 3D printers. We do have a supply of material as well, but that, that's our bread and butter. And then the experience is sort of the accessory that we're continuously expanding and making better as we move forward. Tell us about the, uh, the educational end of, of your company, how you facilitate for educational institutions. Yeah, we've been focusing quite heavily on education. What we're really trying to do is partner with people that are making you know, a huge dent in bringing STEM education to uh, different schools around the country, around the world. So we're working on some really, really amazing partnerships right now that'll allow us to give with our 3D printers, just being the tool, they need the actual material to support them. And, you know, we have a, we have a very bare bones kind of EDU curriculum for K through eight right now that you can access for free um, at edu.robo3d.com. But what we want to do is really expand that out and give projects for schools where kids can actually um, learn a variety of different subjects. Uh, have some, you know, next generation science standards, some common core standards actually met in these courses and be able to use the 3D printers consistently over and over to accomplish some of the tasks at hand. And really just students' mindset in the classroom from living in a world where they can solve problems. And I think, you know, when you look at the educational system over the past hundred years, it hasn't changed much. And so it's exciting to be in a time where 3D printing is assisting and letting these educational systems kind of go to this project-based learning type mindset. And, and it's true because, I mean, we'll talk about the library angle in a minute, but uh, it, we've seen it both in, in our local school districts, um, both the one that I work, I work not, I don't work in the schools, but we do a lot of outreach with, with the SHM school district. And yep. you see that they're starting to now blossom and making all these you know, tech rooms and they're starting to buy 3D printers and they're doing some other STEM and STEAM things. It's really kind of an exciting time because it, we've gone from a time where you know, the answer is either yes or no to mm -hmm. maybe and experiment. Yep. And hopefully, you know, right now we're teaching our kids just to take tests. Hopefully in the yep. future, this kind of impetus will, will begin to uh, explore some other kind of qualitative testing. Yeah, we really need students to live in a world where there's no boundaries and the educational system has put boundaries around everything right now. And, uh, you know, you, you study something from one book and you get a test on that chapter and you take the test and there's a right or wrong answer for the most part. And there's a score you get. And, you know, that's really how the system works. But if we present a problem and let students start solving it and there could be, you know, a hundred different ways to solve it and no actual correct answer per se, uh, they start looking at and approaching it from a different angle. And I think those kind of skills, developing that within their minds at an early age is going to help them, you know, beyond school, actually getting jobs in the real world uh, where critical thinking and problem solving is going to become more of what people are looking for when they're hiring, um, you know, new employees. Yeah, I was just going to say that's going to be a really um, effective skill. Yeah, most definitely. Yeah. I, I, you know, I, I have hired, we have 32 people now. Uh, in our office in San Diego. And, you know, when I go through the hiring process, that's something I always ask and try and to get out of them is have they been faced with issues in lives? Have they been able to solve them? Um, what are some examples of that? Because, you know, just, you know, I, I, it doesn't matter as much to me to find someone that has a 4.0 GPA. It, it matters to find people that actually look at the world from an angle of I can 
I can change something or I can make a difference. I'm not just going to accept the way things are. That makes a lot of sense too. I mean, great. You know, you can have a lot of people out there that are very book smart. Yep. You know, and you can teach them, you know, in a book, how to hold a a nail and how to hit it with a hammer. But unless Mm -hmm. you actually do that and every once in a while smack your thumb, you know, you can read about it and know how it works. But if you don't actually do it, it's a different story altogether. Yeah, no question. Yeah. So you said before that your printers do come with software and apps. Um, How simple is it to use versus something like maybe Simplify 3D or some of the other software packages that are out there for slicing and, and that kind of stuff? Yeah, so our, so what we're trying to do with, you know, I always say the future of 3D printing is to eliminate slicing software. And for those of you that don't know what slicing software is that are listening, it's essentially when you have a model you've designed or you found online, you have to run it through a, it's a third-party slicing program. Simplify 3D is one of them. Uh, Cura is one of them, which ships with our printer. And you basically set the parameters for the file you want to print. And then, you know, when it when you press slice file, it makes it ready to 3d print so then you can send the file to your printer to print it what we're trying to do is optimize all that for customers so we have something uh on our machines very unique we're one of the only ones i think we're actually the only one in the industry that does true what's called onboard slicing so you can just take a file and send it directly to the machine choose a few parameters and press print you don't have to go through the the lengthy process of uh using and learning how to use a third-party slicing software and what that allows us to do in education and libraries what we've seen is you know, eliminate resources uh, that they wouldn't rather, they don't need to have dedicated computers to slicing softwares. And then uh, it's a, really a time savings um, uh, feature. So, you know, they don't have to teach the slicing software to everyone that goes in there. We just want to get people printing. And I think that's that's the goal with a lot of our products and our experience. Well, it's funny that you say that too. We had a, a guest on um, in one of our previous episodes and uh, he, he was a trainer. So he trains people how to do different things. And we, the topic of 3D printing came up. And, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, people, I was talking about when people come into our makerspace and they say, can I use the 3D printer or can I, no, can I work the 3D printer, which I think the term that that is used a lot. And we were joking saying, um, well, do you watch when you print a Word document out of a paper printer? You know, you know, it's, it doesn't have a joystick on it. Yeah. So, you know, part of the, the, I don't want to say struggle, but part of the challenge with us over at our library is um, getting the person who wants to print 3D print something to understand yeah. that it's more important to develop something and to build something than it is the actual physical printing of it. Yep, yep, I agree. Um, you know, you could make the comparison like watching somebody build a shed or, buy, or, or watch them build a house. Yeah, that's kind of interesting because of all the different activities that are going on. But the real important part is the architect who put it all together. Mm-hmm. So we have to be architects, not house builders, which kind yeah, of kind of makes sense, right? I agree. Yeah, I agree. And you know, we we've partnered with Autodesk, so we include a year free license of Autodesk Fusion 360. So you don't need to invest in a 3D modeling software, you know, right out outright. You can sort of just use what we've given to you, and you you get the product, and you can learn about it. I mean, there's tons of great tutorials and. Uh, if you just start diving into it and start messing with some stuff and following some of their examples, I mean, you, even with Tinkercad, that's a free software as well by Autodesk, and you can really learn how to design some stuff from scratch. Um, you know, it's it sounds very complicated, but once you start diving, I mean, Tinkercad was made for kids, so they made it easy to actually make something. So once you start diving into it, you start to realize, wow, this actually isn't as difficult as I thought. 
um, to do simple objects. And so if I need to solve a problem, I can actually do that pretty quickly. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, so tell me, um, more about the printing from the app. Is it the same kind of functionality as it would be for desktop software? Yeah. Printing from the app is like going to be the most streamlined, simple process to actually get a file to the printer. So we have Wi-Fi built into the new products, the Robo R2 and Robo C2. So what do you do is you pretty much just connect to the printer on the same Wi-Fi network. Once you do that, what we have in here is, well, right now we have cloud libraries. So you can, any models you download online, you can just save them to either your drive or your Dropbox. You can access them um, on our app and you can just press print from there. What we're doing now is integrating um, all the different file marketplaces. So everywhere that has 3D models like Thingiverse, uh, My Mini Factory, all these websites that host hundreds of thousands of free content models to print, uh, we're going to start integrating them into our app so you can browse and print directly from it as well. This will, I mean, you're talking one button printing uh, with going to eventually be millions of models online. So if you can picture a world where you go to Best Buy, you buy a GoPro, and you're saying, I want to make some GoPro accessories. You type in GoPro accessories, you browse through hundreds of thousands of models, and you find one you like, you download it, and you press print. I mean, that's really what we're trying to do um, with our technology and kind of the integration for the consumer experience. That really is cool, especially yeah. being able to do it right from your phone. Yep. So make it as simple as possible. We want to get people printing. That's kind of the the first step for us and and, and then we can work backwards and, and work on some additional stuff in terms of people that want to dive into 3d modeling but once you start getting we've actually thought it was the other way around train people how to do the design first but actually once you get people into the 3d printing first and they start realizing that they can just click a button and make stuff then it sort of gets them oh i want to fix things now or i want to design my own um, because they've been excited on the printing part that's a great concept yeah, really good. So tell us about the printers that you have, you know, give us the specs like build volume and that kind of thing. Yeah, so we just actually it's exciting time for us because we just launched two new 3D printers. So we call them our smart 3D printers. Uh, we've been in business for about four and a half years. Uh, we've only been selling our R1 Plus, which we just actually brought back at a really low price point, it's $4.99. But that printer has been like our maker mission. You could hack on it. We have, you know, a I don't know, 13,000 members now on our online forums that are coming up with cool projects and doing all sorts of fun stuff with R1 Plus. What we've done with these two new products is really make them like the simplest, easy to use machine. So, uh, you know, if anyone's used 3D printers that are listening, they understand a lot of the pain points. You run out of material, it stops your print. We've designed them just to be extremely smart. So if it runs out of material, it'll pause your print. You can resume it when you put new material in. Um, it, you know, it has, you know, these beautiful color touchscreens that you can print and monitor all your prints from. You can save models. We have all the storage built on um, to the actual machine. So you can have hundreds of models that you've, you know, downloaded and you can organize them um, on the actual machine. Uh, the build volume is pretty small. We have the compact version, which is the C2. That's a five by five by six. Um, but the Robo R2 is an eight by eight by 10, which, you know, these weren't, you know, we premeditated the size of these based on what most people are printing. Mm -hmm. And eight by eight by 10 is, is actually a pretty decent build size in terms of what most people are using these machines for and what size they're requiring to print. Um, so we took data from some software on determining what, what these sizes were and that, that was well within the capabilities. And yeah, they're, they're just really simple, automatic leveling, um, you know, they can print with a multitude of different materials. So you're, you're flexible in terms of different types of materials you can use. 
And, uh, you know, we just really want them to be click and print type machines. Is the build plate heated as well? The Robo R2 has a heated build plate. Um, the Robo C2 does not have a heated build plate. Some people have been hacking on it um, to make it capable, but um, it, it does not come with one. So we're, we're making that like more your basic kind of starter type machine. Mm -hmm. uh, and then if you want to get in more of the high performance machine, you can get the R Robo R2. And one of the things we're going to be integrating into the R2 uh, shortly is the dual extrusion upgrade. So you'll be able to do, um, you know, two different materials, whether you want to print with two different colors or two different types of materials, um, you'll be able to do that with the, the R2. So it'll be a machine you can actually grow with. It sounds like it. It sounds like you yeah. you have the ability to uh, do add-ons to it. Yeah, and we're going to be doing a lot of add-ons, not only to, you know with the actual machines themselves. Uh, you know, you'll be able to add on quite a few. We already have probably about five or six different things we want to be able to offer to people to add on, but also in the software, a lot's going to be happening. So, uh, you know, I talk about the app, but the app is where we're going to be able to do a lot of amazing stuff. Um, a lot of integrations, uh, you know, some, some, some cool concepts that we're working around right now, but, uh, it, we want it to be a fun experience for people. And so we're working on some ways to, to make it a lot more accessible for everyone. Now, do you manufacture your own filament too, or do you offer it, or do you just tell people, you know, go on to you know, these websites and recommend websites? No, we, we offer our own. We've been through seven different filament manufacturers, so we have a really solid manufacturer right now, um, very consistent quality. That was something that we spent a enormous amount of time going through in terms of quality control on our filament, so I'd like to say we have a really high-quality material now. Um, we sell some variations too, some wood infused plastic, some carbon fiber infused plastic. We're partnering with color fab. So, uh, color fab is a huge maker of some specialty materials as well. So there's some cool stuff that we'll be working with. And, uh, and then we, we recommend some suppliers of materials. So if you're looking for alternative type materials, there's, uh, quite a few suppliers that we actually recommend in terms of we printed with their stuff and their quality is good. So you'll be able to see that when you, if you go on the site, uh, actually tomorrow we'll <laughs> hopefully we'll right yeah yeah it's actually being updated as we speak uh but by the time this goes public it'll be done by then but we'll actually have images of um, all the different materials it's compatible with and then some of the suppliers you can actually buy the materials from so that's great that's really yeah. good um so let me um i had one more question for you actually um i think you answered it yeah so that's great um so to find out more about Robo3D, check out their website, robo3d.com. And, you know, these printers do look pretty cool. And uh, I think I'm going to take a look at some of them, too, after we, uh, we finish our podcast, just to take a look to see if they, they fit into the, the model that we have over at our library. So okay. when, we, and when we come back, we're going to talk to Braden about uh, how libraries can implement 3D printing and build communities and spark entrepreneurial, entrepreneurial spirit, because that's something that is a, a changing uh, and evolving uh, area in libraries. So we'll be back in just a moment.
Okay, we're back with Braden Moreno, co-founder of Robo3D. So let's begin at the beginning. Some libraries uh, are hesitant to start the process of designing a quote-unquote makerspace. It's a term that uh, hasn't been added to the Oxford English Dictionary yet, um, yep. but I'm sure it's going to be. And you'd think they'd come up with a better name. Right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so we all know about you know how makerspaces, makerspaces are more than just a 3D printer, but in many cases... Uh, it's the center of the process, the focal point. It's something, you know, because it's this new alien thing that's coming to libraries. So what advice would you give, um, you know, your company notwithstanding, to a library who's considering making a 3D printing, 3D printer purchase? Uh, you know, first thing is just people just need to, you know, especially libraries just need to dive into it. Uh, it's one of those things that, you know, until someone just starts, you know, making the move and actually developing I know we say this makerspace, but it doesn't have to be uh, a thought out makerspace per se. It's just start getting some tools in there that allow the community to actually use them and expand upon what the library is all about. Because we know most people, you know, aren't going in and renting books anymore. So we're trying to bring people into a community. And I think libraries can become the next communal kind of workspace. So having the tools there um, and the accessibility there is just, you know, is one step in the right direction. Uh, in terms of the type of 3D printer you're looking for, uh, you really just want one that has all the features that are actually necessary. So you don't want one you have to tinker with. Um, you want one that eliminates the amount of resources you need to actually use it. So there's a lot out there that you have to plug in uh, via cable. And, um, you know, you just want one that's connected and that makes it really simple to print things. Because some people are going to come in with models that they've designed themselves. Some people are going to come in you know, with the wrong format. And you just want a really easy process. And I think that's something we identified early on when we started the business is that this was an issue when we were going into schools and libraries. So with these new machines, we, we really made that process as simple as it could possibly be. That's why we created, you know, the thing I called onboard slicing. That's so you can just take that model and just print that model instead of worrying about all the steps that are required to set it to the right parameters. We have all the parameters done for you. Just send it to the machine and let it do its thing. And uh, I think you'll have a great experience from, from there. And it does make sense because not everybody needs to know every intricate detail of, you know, how it's slicing, how, you know, what it's, you know, the rate of, you know, extrusion and all that other stuff, which, you know, Simplify 3D kind of does. Um, yep. But if you're not going to be a super geek about this and you just want to, at the end of the day, you just want it to print. I mean, that makes a lot of sense. Here's the thing is the people that do care about those parameters already know they care about them and already know how to fix them within the model. Uh, when we're talking about a community space where people may come in and use it for the first time or just want to see how it works or maybe want to test a print, they, they aren't going to care as much about those, you know, how solid is the object? Is it 25%? Is it 100%? Is it 75%? Um, how many layers? You know, they don't care about all that per se. They just want to get, they want to make something physical. And so we have created the easiest process to make something physical um, and, and also offer the support with the software to actually be able to go in and, and alter settings if you want to do that as well. So we have kind of both sides of it, but we've designed it to just be simple for an open space, like a makerspace, you know, a classroom, you know, any, any, anywhere where multiple people are going to have access to it. Well, it makes sense, too, because the librarian's there to assist and, and take care of some of the more technical details if, you know, they arise. Yep. So when you introduce any new product in a library, 
or on in your own personal life for that matter you know there's always a learning curve and the same is true with 3d printing and we spoke in the last segment about about your software and how simple it was and how the slicing all happens in um in the software that's you know so you don't have to worry about it you know pretty much plug and play so how important is training when you know learning the software of a new 3d printer and you know are some harder than others you know like simplify 3d it's it's actually not that bad once you get used to it but the initial learning curve can be a little rough yeah and you know one of the things we have been talking about doing now that we've launched these two new products i mean we have videos that teach you how to use uh some you know like the software and things like that but we're going to do more in-depth courses of that because we really want people that are interested in diving into it more uh to understand every and all element of what those softwares can do um, it's like an iPhone, right? I still don't know every single thing you can do with an iPhone. I see people doing certain things. It's just because they went into Apple and they took a course or they went online and they, you know, found out all these unique ways you can use your iPhone um, or your Android. And so we want to be able to offer that as well. If people want to dive into like a course about how to use, you know, our Cura software, how to use the app, how to, uh, how to design things and 3D modeling program. And so we'll, we'll be doing a lot more of that, but, you know, it just really requires someone that's, that is sort of being the advocate or the ambassador of bringing uh, the 3D printing technology into you know the library. They'll, they'll be able to learn it, and like I said, the way we've designed it, uh, you know, our platform is is to be as simple as possible. So there isn't a huge learning curve when you get into it. I like that the idea of a librarian as an ambassador. Mm-hmm. That was that's a pretty pretty good concept. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. That's where we've seen, we've seen the most success when someone's the ambassador, that could be a librarian. It could be a teacher, uh, but someone that brings it in and goes like, we're going to make this useful for our community. And they've had a lot of success doing that. I mean, in our backyard, San Diego central public library, I mean, they've been, they have a couple of our machines and they've been amazing at building a community. So. That really is cool. I mean, it's nice to hear that, that the local library is, is part of what you're doing too. Yep. So educating kids is more than just a classroom activity now. And we just had a, an outreach program at one of our elementary schools. And it is interesting to see how the kids just gravitate towards not just 3D printing, but making in general. And, yep. it, can, and it can build a community in education. Uh, tell us how that takes place. And, you know, can you talk about how it would work in a library setting as well? Because in the elementary schools that we were going to originally, um, they weren't speaking to each other. They yep. were doing their own thing autonomous of each other, even though they were in the same district. And now that we're introducing yep. these concepts with these different tours, um, our outreach librarian has been very instrumental in, in getting the schools together and coming up with curriculum that they can all do together. Yeah. I think with anything, right, with any new technology, there's going to be, like, I mean, it kind of starts going back to that ambassador comment. There's going to be people that take it on and have success with it. And that success sort of spreads. And then other teachers are like, we want to bring on 3D printing. How do we do it properly? And then, oh, you should talk to this teacher. He had his 3D printer for a year and they're doing it for this, this, and this, all his kids. Um, and, and, and that's sort of how it starts growing because with the new technology, people are always trying to figure out how to, how to make better content, how to get the kids more involved, um, you know, what type of programs and lesson plans can they put uh, towards that technology. So I think it, a lot of it's happened organically, which is really nice. Um, you know, what I like in terms of building a community within education is that a lot of the kids are now collaborating on things. So they're starting to work together on solving problems and starting to work together on building uh, things from scratch. And, and that's a pretty cool concept. And so when you look at it from a library perspective um, and you're bringing, you're kind of, 
advertising to the community that we have this technology, you know, come use it, come look at it, you know, come listen to someone speak about it, whatever it may be. Um, bringing them in, you, you know that the people that are sitting in that room have a keen interest in building something. And so it sort of like becomes a quote unquote net networking event in a way where they start sort of talking to each other. What are you interested in 3D printing for? Oh, I have this idea. I want to do this or, you know, I want to build things for my kids, whatever it may be. And, and then they start working together naturally on things. And so the idea of entrepreneurship sort of starts growing, uh, you know, very organically from that step as well. Um, within our own community. So it's just, it's exciting kind of being involved in it and seeing these things sort of just start happening because you're putting a tool in a space uh, that people have access to. And so I'm just excited to see more of that, you know, spawning. And it does make sense. I mean, if you think about the types of programs you can do, whether it's a Tinkercad program or whether it's instruction just in, in your software in Quora or, yep. or even developing something completely new and different from scratch. Uh, yep. you know, whether or not you can just put in, uh, measurements and have it render it for you. Uh, yep. there's all these different, you know, concepts that you can teach, you know, and have it. And we, at our library, we have some pretty good library, some pretty good programming when it comes to the, uh, the 3d printers and along with some of the other services that we have too. But it really is, it, it really is fun and interesting when you see whether it's a, a, a child, a teen, or even a senior, when they get it and that light bulb goes on. And then you just mm -hmm. see them run with it and and try to develop things. Uh, we've we've worked with a bunch of different, mostly teens and believe it or not, computer science students from Stony Brook University, which is not too far from us. Um, yep, they come up with these ideas and, and these designs for different things, and it's always interesting to see what design walks in the door. You know, yep. What what kind of uh, programming have you seen, or or do you think would be effective in a library setting with three D printing? Uh, what do you mean by programming? Like having a, a, a program, uh, like an instructional um, program. Oh, yeah, yeah. So we, what's cool, I just use the San Diego Central Public Library as an example because they've done a lot of it really well and they've been doing it for years now, is they actually, you know, I've gone in there, spoken quite a few times, done, um, you know, training programs. And what they, what they end up having is once people start coming in, if they've already used the technology, they become sort of like, you know, a volunteer in the space. Then the library asks them, hey, do you mind teaching a class? Then they start teaching these classes, and then more and more people start joining these classes because they want to learn 3D design or they want to learn how to do 3D printing. And then all of a sudden, they become proficient, and they start teaching a class. And so it just starts building and building from there. Um, and that and that just that happens. I mean, honestly, they haven't had to do a ton of outreach to find people that are proficient at 3D design and 3D modeling, uh, especially, you know, well, in San Diego, there's a lot of tech around here, but in other areas too, there's plenty of people that have those skill sets. So just reaching out to a few different people in the community can connect you with someone that knows how to do it. And that's willing to offer up a little bit of their time to teach others. And uh, that, that's been extremely effective for them. So um, just hosting some very simple classes doing, you know, joining meetup.com from the, as a library um, saying, we're doing this event, learn how to 3d design using Tinkercad. It's an hour event, having someone come in and talking about that and just having people start joining um, you know, it can be very actually fairly easy to build uh, a community around the technology. And it really does start organically. It really yep. does seem that way because one person gets excited, they know what they're doing, and they share it. And whether it's an organized program or whether it's somebody who's volunteering their time or, or whatever, it, it really does become an organic thing where it's like uh, like grassroots almost. 
I mean, you can go, anyone goes on meetup.com in your area and you search 3D printing, I'm sure there's probably a group around there. Um, and that's sort of where they started. They just started reaching out to these, you know, 3D printing meetup groups. Hey, the library wants to host it. Um, can you guys do an event at the library? Bring that group into the library. You know, it starts building from there. Oh, this guy knows how to do 3D design. Hey, he'd be interested in doing a course. And so it just, you know, it's, it's actually not extremely difficult to get people to volunteer to do things that they're actually knowledgeable on. Um, you know, I volunteer a ton of times to talk about entrepreneurship because we started like this business and, uh, you know, if I was proficient, you know, or an expert in a specific technology, I'd be happy to talk about that. And so most people that have those skill sets are willing to, to teach others, which is a nice thing in our world. Oh, definitely. Um, so talking about that entrepreneurial experience, um, tell us exactly what you mean when you talk about that, because you know, how does someone become an entrepreneur with a 3D printer and how does that carry over in a, in a role as a library, do you think? Yeah. Yeah. So I think the premise of, so, you know, you spoke about those light bulb moments, right? And I've been able to witness and just from conversating with people over the past four and a half years at trade shows, witness so many of these light bulb moments with customers, you know, a lot of them come up and, you know, the first thing they say is, why would I need a 3D printer, you know, this and that. And I say, you know, sir, ma'am, like, tell me about what you do for a living. Let's start diving into it. And I've seen a lot of them go, oh, wow, I could use it for that. And and that's been <laughs> inspiring for me. So they actually didn't even realize that 3D printing could be applicable to some of the stuff that they're already doing in their personal or their professional life. Um, so that was exciting. And so I think sort of that entrepreneurial type experience can spawn from just seeing how the technology actually works firsthand. Um, but, it, it, you know, with a 3D printer, it really poses this solution to how do I solve a problem by creating something? And, uh, you know, that is entrepreneurial as a mindset. And I think when you start thinking that way and you start developing that mindset, it starts carrying over into other areas of your life, mm -hmm. um, you know, in a positive way. And so I think it's, you know, as problems come up, you know, you can solve them as opportunities, you know, arise or you see something that's being done inefficiently um, you can, you can create some type of solution for that. And, uh, you'll notice if you start living your life and open your eyes to things like that and start thinking creatively, um, you know, being an entrepreneur can, it can come out of nowhere to be honest. Well, that, that is true because you can get an idea for something and it just blossoms from there and you say, Hey, maybe this is something that other people would want too. I mean, it's what we're trying to do with, with kids. You know, that's like, that's why project-based learning is what it is, is. Um, try and put, it's not so much as like, here's the project, solve the problem. And like, then it's like putting them in a mindset that they can do that over and over again. So when they go out and they see that something isn't the way it should be, instead of just like most people in the world, most people just go, oh, that's just the way it is. They can look at it and go, you know, wait a minute, that's not it can be better than that. Maybe I can find a solution or I can solve that problem in a better way. And that could be the start of, you know, a new business. And, uh, and so, you know, we're, we're seeing that happen more and more, which is, which is a cool thing to be a part of. It really is. Yeah, it really is cool. So, you know, there, I'm sure there's some librarians out there that are listening to this and shaking their heads, saying something about the mission statement and not allowing a library to be used as a for-profit business. Um, so if you're doing that in library land, hear us out because it's newsflash time. It's time to wake up. 
you know, librarians helping people with their businesses is nothing new. Uh, we have career counselors and something called SCORE, which is a business advisor to help small businesses. So fostering the entrepreneurial drive in patrons, you know, it should be a no-brainer. So, you know, even if they're trying to develop a product, uh, at our library they, um, they have to pay, you know, per half hour for print. Now, it's a nominal fee, but if they're starting a business or they're looking to start a business based upon this product that they're developing, I don't see it as a problem or violating any mission statement or anything like that. So, you know, well, can you tell us what libraries can do to foster this spirit and help, you know, people to start a business? Uh, the one thing I would say to everyone is that there is no, you know, I know you said your library charges a fee, but there is no more affordable way to build an initial prototype of what, you know, maybe a product you're trying to build or whatever it may be than doing it this way. I guarantee that, um, you know, like I said, I, st you know, my first business I started, I spent $8,800 to get my first prototypes through a prototyping company. And if I had access to a library down the street that could do uh, you know, 3D modeling and 3D printing, or I could go to a class to learn how to do it. I would have done that in a second, and that would have saved me, you know, thousands and thousands of dollars. It would have gotten me a that product took me eight months to get all the initial concepts done. I could have done it in a month, and so it's from a time savings and a cost savings for someone that has this entrepreneurial urge or has this product idea that they can't stop thinking about this is going to be the quickest solution for them to get that sort of initial thing together. And once they get that together, it's going to get them more excited about the business, more excited about uh, what they're doing. And, and it's just going to help kind of kickstart the momentum and their entrepreneurial drive. So I think it's, it's definitely something we shouldn't look at it as this for-profit making opportunity or that it goes against what the library actually believes in. It's actually fostering, um, you know, entrepreneurship and, and fostering, you know, potential future large business owners, which are going to bring jobs into your city, which are going to bring jobs, jobs into your community. And I think it's nothing but a, a really positive, good thing. And I agree. I mean, and that's something that even the administration of my building agrees with. But there are still some people out there that, again, following the old model and, you know, not being flexible and not seeing how things go. But, you know, that's I guess that's like that in any profession, I guess, in one way, shape, yeah. or form. You know, and more kids. Listen, if you if libraries want to bring kids are going to start learning in the schools, it's already happening. Like it's moving like a wildfire through all the different schools um, adopting 3D printing technology. You know, as they grow up, they're going to want if these libraries turn into these community spaces that bring people in, you know, these kids are going to want access to that technology if they don't own one already. And, uh, you know, having that there and letting them sort of this younger generation be the foundation for growing this entrepreneurial spirit within those libraries is going to be huge as well. Absolutely. Yeah. So uh, with regard to charging fees, um, you know, and I think that, that charging fees kind of negates the argument that, you know, somebody's making a profit off the business. If they're paying, you know, we charge 50 cents per half hour. It's just a nominal yeah. pay. Yep. Um, it's just enough to, um, you know, just to give it value and, yep. and to, uh, just if somebody is starting a business like an Etsy business or even just trying to develop a product, yeah. um, you know, they can say that they've invested something in it other than their, their blood, sweat, and tears. And like you were yeah. saying before about modeling with your project, you know, it could be a lot more expensive. Yeah, most definitely. And I, I, I think charging is actually a must. Um, the reason why I think that is because if it feels like it's – if everything's free, then – feel inclined to sort of move forward as much 
uh, when people start, you know, kind of investing some of their time, energy and money into it. Um, even if, though it might not be a ton of money up front, when they start doing that, they get in the mindset that they're more committed to what they're working on. And I think it'll give, it'll produce better products. Uh, it'll produce more commitment to what they're doing and it'll kind of get them kickstarted a lot quicker um, to getting, you know, the product to actually mar to the market or to a Kickstarter uh, project or to an Indiegogo project, whatever it may be, um, to actually give them the funding to actually take this into a full business. It's true. It's very true. Um, and look how it even worked out for you, right? So I think you're a, a great classic example of of how this how it starts. There was an idea. There was a spark for an idea because of something else you were trying to do. Um, yep. And I don't know if you, if your watch thing succeeded or failed. Um, yeah. But you know, it's it failed. It failed miserably. But from failure, <laughs> look what happened from a big failure, right? Yeah, yeah. It's I mean, failure. Failure is a part of it. I I was bummed at the time, but now that I've you know, grown up a bit since that. I mean, I did that when I was 19 years old. I was still in college and, um, you know, was working at a restaurant and I used all the, my money to build my first prototypes. And, you know, it failed miserably and it sucked. But at the same time, I learned a lot in that process that I took my next business um, and then I sold that to my partner and then I started Robo and it took a lot of those learnings to this business. And so I'm just, I'm constantly moving forward. I'm constantly learning. And, um, you know, if it, if I didn't put myself in situations at those times, you know, most people don't put themselves in those situations, but it's easier to put them in those situations where they have an opportunity to succeed when they have access to it a lot easier. So, you know, where libraries start putting them out there, where schools start putting these tools out there, um, that access is going to spawn um, more and more entrepreneurs, which is a great thing for everyone. The future is going to be pretty cool, isn't it? It's going to be fantastic. And there's going to be, a, you know, this. we always talk about this world where, all the new innovations or all the next, you know, great products that come out aren't actually going to necessarily come from, you know, the GEs of the world or, you know, the large, you know, Fortune 500 companies. They're actually going to come from people in their garage. And I think that's pretty cool because we're going to be in this world, like I said, that democratizes this idea of building something that gives everyone access to tools to build things. And so we'll hopefully see a lot of innovation happening, you know, locally and in the communities. Uh, yeah, you hit the nail on the head with that one, absolutely. So yeah. I'm going to kind of go off script for a second. And we always joke this is the script we we say we don't really use. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So with regard to scanning, now we have a scanner at work, and you talk about uh, practical applications. We had this gentleman yep. who came in who had um, a piece that was broken. That was from yep. um, it was to mount a mirror that had been in his house since the '60s, and when the part broke. He had, there were, I think, six of these pieces that held this mirror up. Mm. And he brought it to us. And he was, it was our very first project. So it took us, what would take us the three or four days now, actually took us almost a year. And so we, uh, we, we got a 3D scanner and we scanned yep. the part. And, you know, through trial and error, because it was kind of like our first project, we figured it out and got the thing printed. And it worked and it worked great. And then the, the joke was he came back to us and said, oh, that's great. I need six more and I need three of them to be like the opposite. <laughs> yeah. And we kind of just said, we, we were so proud of ourselves that our chest so pumped out and everything. And, and then when, uh, when he said that, we kind of just got deflated and said, just like, Oh yeah, we have to do this again and figure this out. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, running the ones that he needed that were done already was a no brainer. But when we had to actually figure out how to mirror image it, we figured it out. It was it turned out to be not that big a deal, but, uh, with regard to 3d scanning, uh, 
what's your experience with that or your partner's experience with that and and how can that be used uh, like in the situation i just discussed where it's making a repair yeah you know and all everyone that's you know may not understand 3d skating or all this stuff what we're what we had never ventured into the 3d skating space and the reason we didn't do that is because we we knew that that was going to happen from your smartphones. So we just like saw this world where smartphone technology is changing. And you can see with the new iPhone X, they're talking about 3D applications and scanning. Uh, with the new Sony device, they just implemented a uh, application that's on the actual device that does 3D scanning. So I just saw this. I was like, listen, everyone's going to scan from their phone and they're going to be able to get that model like within you know a second uh, to be able to um, to print it. And so that was exciting for us. And, you know, what I, what I see is, you know, if there's an object that you need to repair, you know, being able to scan the pieces, once you scan those pieces and it recognizes sort of the optimal way to put them back together, that's going to happen with an application. It's going to do the, all the hard work for you. And then you're just going to get the final model and you'll be able to print that. And so we're sort of preparing for that with, with the app, uh, integrating with some of these things, where you can just go, okay, I have this model now. Now I just want to print it, send it directly to the device, and it's done. You know, so we want to be able to, you know, make that process as simple as possible. But that it's just a matter of time till you can you can do all the 3D scanning and all the replication of objects and all the repair of pieces that you need right from your smartphone. And it does make sense because the cameras are getting better and better all the time. I mean, I know my my iPhone 7 Plus does that portrait mode that makes the pictures look so good that you know it's kind of creepy almost <laughs> yeah yeah it's it's getting better and better um it's getting simpler and simpler to use the those type of features i mean the, when we first got into the space there was uh one two three d catch which was a 3d scanning app um by autodesk and while it, it worked decently well if you had all the right parameters uh it wasn't something that everyone could use very simply so as the devices get better, as the cameras get better, as the 3D technology gets better and the scanning side gets better for these smartphones, um, it's going to be, you know, very easy and a lot more room for error in terms of what's acceptable when you're actually using these this type of tools to be able to get a 3D scan pretty quickly. Well, it makes sense because 123D scan has gotten much better over the years, but there's also structure yep. scan the structure scanner camera. Yep. Um, we yeah, there's also- the best one we best one we've ever used was by a company called, I think it was Next Engine, uh, which was a handheld scanner. It was pretty expensive though. It was about a $2,500 device. And uh, we just, we couldn't, we couldn't get into the scanning space um, just because we knew a lot of content was already being produced. And, um, you know, we actually, instead of the scanning side, we're more looking at how to do like object recognition type stuff where, you know, I can take a picture of something and it recognizes what it is and, you know, maybe deliver some 3D models to, you know, accessories and things like that for that. That would be really object. cool too. Yeah, that, the object recognition. Yeah. Sure. Yeah, we have the yeah. we have that same scanner at uh, at our library. We have the desktop model. Oh, cool. Okay. Um, yeah. It nice. does a really nice job. Yeah, it's a good it's a good scanner. Yeah, it really is. Well, thank you so much for taking time from your busy day to speak with us about the um, about this great topic because this is something that uh, I have a lot of passion for and it really is a lot of fun to talk about. And, yeah, of course. You know, it, 3D printing has been around for a while in libraries, and I think our discussion hopefully will um, will help other libraries who are still looking at the technology kind of make some decisions on how they want to go forward and, and, and do some of these things. Yep, most uh, definitely. 
Yeah, sure. So we're going to take another quick break. And when we get back, we're going to ask Braden our top 10 library questions. Now, I know you're not a librarian, so mm -hmm. we may have to tweak some of these questions a little bit. But <laughs> okay. you know, if you just roll with us, it, it should be pretty good. Since you use your, the San Diego library, this shouldn't be too big a stretch. So yeah, we, no problem. We call this list the 032 list, which is the Dewey number for top 10 lists. And as always, we give credit to our friend Melanie Cardone from the Longwood Public Library in Middle Island, New York for naming the list of questions uh, that we ask all our guests. So we'll be back in just a moment. Okay, we're back speaking with Braden Morano, co-founder uh, co of Robo3D, and he's going to be the next participant in, our, in the 032 list. The questions were inspired by the website Literary Hub, an, inform an informative library-related uh, news site that has stories and interviews related to library land. You can see their work by visiting lithub.com, and this is where Bob will make fun of me and say, what, you didn't say the www part? He always breaks my chops about that. So check them out. <laughs> And they, have, they do a great job educating and informing the library world on great topics from all over the world. Thank you, Literary Hub. So, first question, what did you want to be when you were a child? Oh, that's a great question. Um, I actually, truly, just for the sake of being a child and I think thinking they were cool, wanted to be a firefighter. <laughs> um, that was always my, my instinct as a kid. Uh, I, you know, tried a lot of stuff since then. You know, I wanted to be a skater i wanted to do all sorts of random stuff in terms of extreme sports but that was sort of my profession goal and what's interesting about that what's cool is that we just did um a case study on a captain of a fire department in san diego that i've become really close with and he's been a great customer and he uses our 3d printer to actually uh invent and create some cool stuff for fire departments around san diego which is amazing so it's exciting to kind of see that come around full circle. I was just going to say, not, yeah, that, that's <laughs> yeah. really cool to see how. Do you ever think a firefighter would want to get a 3D printer? But look at look what's going on there. I mean, it's incredible. We'll have the case study uh, and the video of it out pretty soon. But it was just cool how much stuff he's been able to solve, um, just with his you know his mindset about being able to solve problems. That really is some cool stuff. Uh, so, what's your first memory of a library, and who brought you to the library for the first time? Oh, I went to Beverly Coolidge Library. It was uh, in Sacramento, California, where I grew up. And I went there, and I, I'm trying to remember what book. I think I went there, and I actually listened to someone. It was They did these things where you could listen to the author of certain books. I was a kid, um, and my parents took me to listen to an author of, like, a kid's book that I read at that time talk about the book and it was like i don't i think they i don't know if they still do those at libraries uh but oh, yeah they probably do sure yeah so I, I listened to this lady talk about this book that i read and i'm blanking on the actual name of the book but um i actually went to the library quite a bit as a kid uh, especially when they finally got computers and was <laughs> on computers and um i don't know just look up cool stuff that's great so we had to modify this next question um, because obviously usually we speak to people who work in a library, but did you ever just 
um, consider working in a library? Uh, not, I don't think I, not necessarily considered, but I was always, I always liked going to libraries. Um, I don't know. I just thought when you go there, there's so much history bound in books around you. And it was just, it was interesting to sort of be in that space and realize like all these amazing, I, mean, I still read a lot and there's so many amazing stories and you're one like potentially one chapter, one line, one paragraph away from discovering something that can like completely change the trajectory of your life. Um, it, you know, if you apply it to something you're doing or something you're learning or something you're passionate about. So it was just always intriguing in that respect. And I, you know, I still love going to libraries. I love how they're sort of changing to the times, a lot of them, and, you know, starting to bring people in and sparking these communities. And um, it's just, it's cool to, you know, have been a part of all that. Okay. So the next question you may not have an answer to either, but we ask it, we ask these questions for everybody. So uh, do you have a, <laughs> so, so kind of run with it a little bit. Um, so who do you have a favorite fictional librarian? I honestly read that question when you guys sent it to me and I had no idea how to even answer. <laughs> That's pretty funny. What? Cause you what? know, one of the favorites is Batgirl, obviously. Okay. Okay. For obvious reasons. Yeah, 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 that makes sense. Yeah, but some <laughs> some of the Jedi, just a Jedi librarian in Star Wars, which I had no idea about, and there's another one, oh, Harry Potter, and you know. I see what they're thing. doing. Yeah, I see what they're doing. Yeah, mm. so you don't have one, huh? Let me, let me let me think about it. I might come back to that one. Okay. Uh, again, we have to modify this next question. Um, yeah. What would you be doing if you weren't working in doing what you're doing now with Robo 3D? Uh, I would be, I would definitely be public speaking. Um, I've, I've just, or doing some form of mentorship or, uh, something along those lines, or possibly even being a teacher. Uh, I love, you know, I've found out very unique ways to, especially from speaking to people face to face to, you know, help them understand certain things in life and how to navigate them. And I, I just, I've been able to teach a lot of different kids about some of the stuff that we've used to help develop our business. And so that's something I've just become really passionate about. I wouldn't have been able to know that unless I did this company because it's given me a lot, a lot of opportunities to speak, but uh, that's something I, I definitely am and going to be doing um, for a long time. So this, I sort of could segue into being um, a teacher at some point. Well, I, that makes sense. I mean, it seems to be the next logical step, right? Yeah. Yeah. Most definitely. Yeah. So what, um, is your favorite section of the library? Now, we originally intended this question to be like, you know, fiction, nonfiction, history. But since libraries have changed so much in the past five to 10 years, it could mean anything. It could mean makerspace. It could mean, you know, technology center. It could mean, you know, the cafe. It could mean, you know, the door yeah. when you leave or, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Hopefully it's not the door when you leave. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> That wouldn't be good for that library if everyone's favorite place was the door. Exactly, uh, it wouldn't come in. <laughs> exactly. Uh, I, I just think I don't. I, you know, I don't know if libraries have specific sections to this, but I always look at you know, and it just applies to me at where I'm at in life. I'm always looking at books uh, that talk about skill sets and business, and um, you know, different strategies that different entrepreneurs or business owners have used um, to help scale, grow their business, um, make a difference in the world, whatever it may be, uh, with their companies because that's definitely something that I want to continue to do. And, uh, and I found a lot of, like I said, you know, you might find a phrase, you might find a chapter, something that's really changed your business. It's happened quite a few times for me. 
uh, where I've read certain books and I've found bits and pieces of information that I've been able to leverage uh, or use in my company. That's really, you know, helped shape some of the decisions that we've made. And so it's just cool. I mean, there's just so many smart people making incredible books and I know all of us can't read every single book, nor would it be probably advantageous to read all the books because you probably wouldn't remember a lot of it. But sure. um, I've been able to identify a few books that have, you know, really been important to me. So um, let's see. If you had an infinite space and obviously budget, uh, what would you add to the San Diego library? <sighs> I honestly would just, I would add more machines and more people teaching, uh, sort of turn it in. So I've learned a lot of stuff on my own. Um, going, I've used a platform called udemy.com, U-D-E-M-Y.com. Um, there's different programs you pay for them, like how to do social media advertising, how to, you know, program for, you know, beginners, whatever it may be. And I would love to see libraries, you know, a building out bigger and better maker spaces, but also building out more and more sort of these type classrooms to teach basic skills that people would be interested in to help ex take them to the next level. <clears throat> I think a lot of businesses are failing in getting their staff proficient in, and, you know, or, I guess like helping them build their proficiency in a number of areas. So that would be something that would be nice to have it like a local kind of safe space, like a library um, to be able to do that. Okay. So um, what do you love about your library? So the San Diego central public library is incredible. If anyone is down here, just take a walk or gander or drive over there, check it out. It's, I mean, it's just an amazing library. And uh, honestly, I, I, when I was downtown quite a bit, I used to go over there and just study and, you know, work on things. And it's just, it's become this very home feeling type environment there. Um, so that's something I, I love about that space. But I also, I love that they're taking an interest in teaching the community and giving the community skills and um, inviting them in for these days to learn about robotics and these days to learn about different things. Um, inviting people to come speak about their successes as, as an entrepreneur, about their successes, um, you know, and, and other avenues of technology. And so they're really trying to make it this space that learn something. Um, and I think that's something I admire about them. And that's something I love about that specific library. So we're going to flip this question around a little bit, the next one, because it, it's happening at the library. What's the weirdest thing that you've seen happen in your professional career? Oh, the weirdest thing. All right. I'm going to be completely honest here. I hope this, this is okay for the audience. But when we got into this business, um, we had a lot of customers. This was, I mean, there wasn't a lot of personal or desktop 3D printing out there. So we had people kind of inquiring about, hey, can your printer do this? Or can your printer do this? You know, and so we had quite a few requests also for people that needed to sort of see what the, what our products actually, like what the, the output, what an actual 3D printed object looked like before they invested in buying multiple machines. And uh, one of the weirdest ones was we had these guys come in that owned a sex toy company. And <laughs> I knew that was coming. Yeah. And they, it was just so funny because this is when there was only four of us in the business. This is very early on. We just had got our first office. 
Uh, it was just this really tiny space and they came in and they wanted us to print different sex toys that they had uh, to see what they looked like so they could figure out like, hey, this is something we could use a prototype or whatever it may be. And we were just, I mean, we were on the floor laughing at these <laughs> things being made on our, we were actually printing them in the office and just like, just could not help. But like, is this seriously where, you know, this is an avenue of tech where our technology is going to go and, you know, surely enough, they ended up getting a couple of our products and using it for uh, quite a few of their, their new products. Wow. So we've seen, that's, that's why I love 3d printing. It can be used in a broad range of things. Um, you know, obviously useful, practical items, obviously helping people around the world with prosthetics and, you know, sex toys. So, <laughs> <laughs> okay. I'm going to flip this next question around too. Cause usually the question is who's your favorite regular patron. Yeah. Um, and I don't know if you're going to have one of these, but who's your favorite do you have a favorite regular librarian? Um, actually, well, I could say we have a, we have a lot of regular patrons actually, like for our company, mm -hmm. um, that like San Diego locals. Uh, Yu Yen is my favorite librarian. She's the one that uh, runs a lot of the makerspace stuff at the San Diego Central Public Library. Yu Yen Tran, she's amazing. Mm -hmm. um, but I have uh, honestly my favorite patron, the guy that. Uh, comes into our offices a lot and it's pretty amazing is i have to say that firefighter andy uh is just a great guy um and we have a lot of them that are amazing but he just has a great story uses the product in like a multitude of ways that inspire me um and he's i don't know he's just a extremely big-hearted person and i feel like when he uses it he's actually trying to solve problems to help other fire departments be more uh, efficient and to help save lives and to help everything run smoother. And I think that's, that's hugely a, a admirable. And so I just, I, I love having him as one of our, our big patrons. Wow. And that really is great. I mean, it's such a great story. Yeah. Yeah. So our last question, what are people without library cards missing out on? You know, I, th I think, especially as libraries are starting to change, uh, you know, People need to start to stop. A lot of people haven't been into a library in 10 years, you know, and I think one of the things they need to do is go back in and explore what new stuff libraries actually have to offer. Like a lot of them are constantly changing. A lot of younger generation type people are getting involved in libraries um, and helping kind of create this this new vibe and new feel for what's being offered in these libraries. And so it's worth going and checking out again and, and seeing what your local library actually has to offer. And if they don't have something that you're actually interested in, maybe you could be the one, the proponent or the ambassador that actually does bring that um, to your library. So I just, I mean, like I said, just venture in again uh, and check it out. I, that's sort of the first step to either discovering an opportunity that you didn't know existed there or actually uh, uncovering an opportunity you can actually, you can leverage and, and work on yourself. That's awesome. I can't think of a better, I think you said it all. That, that, that's yeah. the best part about, you know, people who haven't been in libraries in a long time. They come back in and they, they're rediscovering. Yep, most definitely. Yeah. And that's that's what I found. Honestly, I hadn't been to a library, you know, in a long time and until the San Diego Central Public Library reached out to us. Um, well, actually, they saw us at an event. We were showing our first generation machines and said they're building this makerspace. And then when I went and saw the library, I was like, wow, this is incredible. Like, you guys are doing this, this, and this. Like, I literally still think of libraries as Bell Coolidge, the first one I went to, uh, you know, that just had a bunch of books around and like some old computers. Uh, but you guys are actually trying to enhance the community and inviting people and doing events and 
all sorts of fun stuff and, and bringing together like-minded people. And that was, that was cool for me. Yeah. And that's, that's the name of the game, you know, serving yep. the community and, and doing what the community wants and, yep. and never saying this is the way we've always done it because those are some pretty dirty words nowadays in the library world. <laughs> yeah, most definitely. Yeah. So I had to thank you. It was a great, great time talking to you and um, yeah, you and, as well. And great time. And uh, you've been such a good sport answering all of our questions. So, you know, yeah, it's of course. really been a pleasure having you on the podcast. So, Give you you know uh, a little bit of a, a plug here for your company Robo 3D and it uh, and you can find all its products and links on their new website which is coming by the time we launch this podcast um, at robo3d.com. Uh, you know you have great educational software resources and communities. Um, they're like message boards, right? Yep, yep. We have uh, if you go to robo3d.com, you can look at explore and then click on the community tab. It's also community.robo3d.com. So there's I think we have 13,000 plus members now that are, I mean, there's just tons of discussions going on, people working on projects together, people helping each other if they have issues with the devices, people helping each other with software. I mean, there's just incredible community uh, that we've been building and building. And so we're just going to continue to uh, support that and, and hopefully have a lot more, you know, maybe new ideas and new entrepreneurial type stuff coming from that community. That's great. So be sure and check that out. Uh, do you have any other things you wanted to promote? Uh, just just Robo, check us out. Um, you know, we're on all the social media accounts, so most of them is Robo 3D. Uh, so just follow us. See, so I always do these cool Instagram stories uh, of projects I'm building with our 3D printers. So uh, just follow us and, and kind of join in some of the stuff that we're doing. That's great. Thanks again for coming on. I really appreciate it. All right, cool. Thanks a lot. Okay. So that's all the time we have for this edition. If you have any questions or comments on the show, please go to the contact us section of our website at thelibrarypros.com where we'll also have notes and links from all of our episodes. And you can check us out on Twitter at The Library Pros and on Facebook at facebook.com slash librarypros. And please don't forget to subscribe on RSS, iTunes, which is now Apple Podcasts, Android, email, and Google Play. Remember, the opinions stated by the Library Pros and their guests are solely those of Chris and Bob and not those of the State Public Library, MS Clark Memorial Library, or any other library. We'll see you next time. You've been listening to the Library Pros Podcast. The Library Pros are brought to you by Pippin Productions and by the Library Pros themselves, Krista Cristofaro and Bob Johnson. Special thanks to Sachin Public Library for providing space for this podcast. Until the next turn of the page, I'm your announcer, Carlton Welch.